everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing Season 4, Episode 10, The Galactic Barrier. Thank you for subscribing. What we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail in addition to talking all things Trek. And like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, dude? Man, let me tell you, I'm glad to be back. I feel like I've missed so much not being here while still watching it, but I, I'm I'm glad to be here discussing with people who actually appreciate what I appreciate. Jonathan Shores, how you doing, dude? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. I am out of the Delta Quadrant. I'm back in the Alpha Quadrant, but I'm still not at my home space station, so I'm working on that. We're going to go ahead and get right into our review of this episode, Star Trek Discovery, The Galactic Barrier. The Galactic Barrier was written by Anne Kofel Sanders, and the episode was directed by Deborah Capmier. Captain Burnham and her crew must go where a few have gone before, beyond the Galactic Barrier. Meanwhile, Book learns the truth of what drives Ruan Tarka. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. All right, let's go ahead and get high level views of this episode. And Jeremy, since you're just back with us, let's go with you, man. What is your high level view of this episode? I, I overall like this episode. I do have a few issues with it, but I mean, it, it was a, it was a good episode. It was a good bridge episode. I'll say. Fair enough. Jonathan, what about you, man? High level view. Well, I thought it was great. Personally, it was just great. I don't, I don't get, I didn't really get the filler vibes from it. it I don't know. It was just, it was good classic Star Trek for me. Well, as for me, I thought it was a lot of good stuff in it. You know, I really enjoyed getting some of the revelations of Ruan Tarka, but I feel like, man, we could have got that like five episodes ago. Why hold it as a mystery this long, you know? And I have questions about how the galactic barrier works because I really have no idea that it would be like that. And maybe one of you guys can enlighten me because what? Yeah, I'm kind of in that boat with you there. But we'll get into it. Hopefully somebody can explain and talk me off the ledge here. But let's start off by asking the question, who the hell is Kovich? Just when I think I have on peg, just when I think I have an idea of who this character is. Then we get another episode where he's just like a totally different person and more mysterious than ever. Thoughts on Kovic in this episode, guys? Let me first off saying I really like that character. And I think the mystery of, of who he is is really what makes me like him. Because we really have no idea who he is or what his like position is. Hmm. So I just, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like you. You know, I think I got him figured out and then boom, there's something else going on. Like, what could be more important than than, than this going on, right? The, the possible destruction of the galaxy. <laughs> but he's got to stay beside, stay behind because there's something more important going on. Dinner. <laughs> yeah, could be. <laughs> I am puzzled. You know, we've been talking about the suit with Kovic, and I've been thinking, and we may have brought this up before when we first saw him, but it kind of reminds me of that Assignment Earth TOS episode where we had uh, Gary Seven. And he wore a suit, sort of like James Bond, sort of, uh, sort of. Yeah. And I think he was from the 24th century, which is where we are now. So I'm hmm. wondering if he may be from Gary Seven's race of people, maybe a race of humans or a section of humans. I don't know. 
I don't know. But mm, what, John, do you have any idea what's more important than this current <laughs> galactic problem that we have here? I don't know, man. It's uh, I mean, theories galore, right? Like I've thrown around the idea. I think we've all thrown around the idea of maybe Section 31. Uh, but I mean, what if he's a uh, Guinan's race? Mm. You know, I mean, those that's that particular race lives for a very long time. They have some sort of powers we've never really known. They they've never used that they have that even the Q fears. Yeah, that's true. Uh, plenty of knowledge. They know about a lot. I mean, it's just kind of like they could be the Federation Zora or sphere <laughs> data. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then we have the idea, you know, COVID has played pretty much kind of stepped in as counselor a lot this season, especially when you talk about what's going on with uh, Colbert. But what about him giving this discussion about the universal translators? And we actually get to see a myriad of translators on the desk or on the conference table as they have this discussion. And John, I have to give you a lot of credit here, man. I don't know how you predicted it. But you had a Trek trivia that directly addressed this several weeks ago. (laughs) Man, as much as I would love to take credit for uh, uh, ESP like vision, but (laughs) (laughs) I've really just pulled that Trek trivia. I think it was a uh, Prodigy episode. We were just kind of focused a little bit on translators that made me bring it up. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the writers are kind of pulling on that string through different series to kind of lead to something. I don't know, but I said the same thing when they, when I seen that very first one on the table, I was like, Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Good stuff, dude. Um, any thoughts on Dr. Harai, the, uh, astro linguistics specialist among a myriad of other things. <laughs> any thoughts on him? Cause I thought he was a pretty interesting character. It seemed like he grokked Kovic. Them two got along pretty well, but it, <laughs> any thoughts on him coming in? Because he kind of came out of nowhere. I I don't remember seeing him, him before. I don't know if I remember seeing him. I've seen him before, but I think. Is that not the guy that was on Expanse? Hmm. I can't remember. Maybe? I just recently saw him in something, and it may have been a Trek episode or maybe something else. But all that aside, I really like this guy, and I want to get more of him and learn more about him. I, and what struck me is he's kind of the same exact opposite of Hoshi Sato. Same skill set, but he has this confidence and ease about him that Hoshi did not have. Yeah, it's, it's funny because while we're, again, addressing this very big problem, he's like giggling at Kovic's <laughs> jokes. Popping some what pecans or whatever there was in his mouth, peanuts. He was just he was chewing the whole time, dude. I'm like, what? He's he's very relaxed right now. So let's just go down. I want to go down the Tarka and book line and kind of get to its natural conclusion. What do you think about Tarka in this episode, first of all? And then maybe let's dive into a little of this backstory that we get via these flashbacks. I think honestly, we probably would have a lot better been better off without having that kind of backstory. Just let him be an asshole, because mm. sometimes super geniuses <laughs> are just like that. And you know, not every not everyone needs this heart tugging. You know, oh, this is what happened. This is why I'm doing this. This is my motivation. Sometimes people do smart things just because they want to be smart. They have to be the smartest person in the room. And I think he would have been better off so far doing that 
than this whole backstory we're getting. I, I do agree, Jeremy. I do agree. Uh, you know, let's just have him. You know, we don't need to add in the backstory, but it's fitting for the Trek type antagonist. Like they're usually I mean, we can keep going to, you know, Kai and always bring that up or uh, Goldicott and like they really like I don't know how to say it. They're bad guys, but there's a motivation. And once you get to the backstory of it, like you kind of get an understanding like the ends doesn't really justify the means, but we get it just enough for you to like to hate them. But but I'm not really I'm not really viewing him as a bad guy per se. I mean he has you know this this motivation that we're discovering, but does that really make him a bad guy or does that just make him greedy? It's a very selfish pursuit. You have to say that. Right. I mean it's selfish, but is it does that necessarily make him a villain? No, but I mean and that's just kind of the part of it. Like uh, Garrick, for instance. Like Garrick is like I don't necessarily call him a villain, but you know he was very selfish in his decision making. Same thing with Quark. You know Quark wasn't really a bad guy. Well, Garrick was awesome. I mean, I just kind of go ahead and throw that out there. But I, I just I just felt like this this backstory is kind of not needed. To me, it's filler. Well, the backstory is kind of presented to us via these flashbacks that we get as. You know, we talk about we need this anti anti matter, programmable matter shielding to make it through the galactic barrier. And he ha- just happens to have a stash of this <laughs> on the planet <laughs> where he was stationed with Oros, the guy that they had the relationship with. As far as that goes, I see why they showed us that while we- when we're going to this planet. That made some sense. But again, I don't like the fact that it's trying to make. Tarka, who I feel like he's done a bunch of bad stuff, man. I don't feel like the ends really justify the means. And they're trying to make him relatable, even even to Book. You know, even he's even more relatable to Book by the end of this encounter. So I don't know. I don't know if I like that whole storyline. I liked it. I don't know. It, it, and But what would suck if, you know, they didn't add on to this down the road? Yeah. Like, don't give us this backstory. And then it just ends up indeed being just filler. They definitely have to pick it up. Yeah, because then I'm like, what was the point? Like Jeremy said, like, what's the point? Yeah. We didn't need this. I mean, no doubt there's some very interesting things going on here with this Oros attempting to build this interdimensional transporter. And and to that point, I had a question for you, John, specifically. Didn't we have these on DS9? Weren't they like using these to go back and forth between the mirror universe? Uh, Yeah, a couple of times. So maybe these other ones take a bit more power to actually jump across to. Well, that's a big power difference. I mean, these interdimensional transporters on DS9 were like the size <laughs> of a suitcase. I mean, yeah. They were connected to anything. So hmm. huh, I don't know. And we also learned that the transporter that Oros was building had to use the geothermal power of the planet they were on in addition to some warp core that was located on the planet that they were building. Uh, again, really is the DMA controller the only thing he could find to provide this amount of power? <laughs> it just seems very unlikely. It, considering they originally calculated or hypothesized that the geothermal energy and the energy from this warp core would be enough. Yeah. So you go, you find out that's not enough. Like, I think there's a lot between that <laughs> and the DMA that we could have went to. 
Like, I don't know. Like, maybe connect two warp cores. <laughs> I mean, to his point, he said he'd been searching several years. So I guess I'd give him that question mark. I don't know. Um, well, how bad could your calculations be off, bitch? <laughs> oh, we didn't have enough power. We need to do this to the thousandth power. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, we found out that Tarka was actually there with uh, Oros as a spy for Asira to see what he was actually really working on, which, again, it makes Tarka at this point a little more redeemable that he's changed so much since being a spy to getting his friend captured and him getting away. So I don't know. I don't want to like Tarka. I guess that's what I'm really saying. (laughs) And I still don't trust him, right? Uh, <laughs> like, okay, we got the backstory. We get why. But it also reinforces, like, mm. he will not stop until he gets what he needs and yeah. nothing else matters. And just from that, like, just from seeing that, you cannot trust him. And I get it. Like, I, if I was standing in front of him, I'm like, man, listen, you're a great guy. I get it. But I'll never <laughs> trust you. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about Saru as he strolls about the Federation headquarters. Um, uh, so we talked about this secret project that Kovic is working on, and apparently Bryce is going to help him do whatever it is. So I guess Bryce is off the show for a little while, which makes sense. I think the actor is actually getting a lot of other work. So that's his in-story reason for not being on the ship. But he also has a run-in with Tarina, President Tarina. Uh, let's take this to the logical conclusion of Saru and Tarina in this episode. She keeps them hanging as she <laughs> <laughs> she goes off to a meeting and she appears again. Just thoughts on this relationship, especially since we didn't have you guys on the last episode. Just thoughts on where this relationship is going. Are we are we shipping them as uh, Serena or Taru? I don't know. I'm, I'm workshopping it, guys. Just work with me here. Really? Are we already naming it? <laughs> I think it's uh, just the awkward Saru is really adorable, and I'm really kind of digging the storyline. Just to, and I, I feel like they're, they're it's not going to work out, but just to just to see the kind of more human emotions out of Saru is just he's just freaking adorable. Yeah, agreed. I do agree. I like I like seeing this side of Saru. Kind of, or lack of better terms, humanizes him a little more. But I'm interested into like I want to see. So what what I liked about this relationship from the first time we started to see a little spark there was that neither one of them were concerned about their differences. Mm. Like you would expect a Vulcan uh, to just kind of be hesitant at pursuing a relationship with another species, especially a species that would be as emotionally controlled as Saru. But Saru is a bit more advanced. I kind of half expected him to kind of try to subdue himself more. And I kind of half expected her to kind of reach out for more emotion, but they're not. They're just kind of like making it work. But I'm curious as to see somebody's going to have to change here. And who's Hmm. it going to be? Because I don't see them. I mean, it's great now. Let's go to dinner. Let's talk. Let's that. But to pursue a relationship, eh, I just don't. I don't know. Somebody's going to have to alter here. And I don't see either one of them doing that easily. Mm, I th- I think it may be easier on Tarina than it is on Saru because I think she's used to it. That's how the Vulcan male may act in her normal social situation, you know. So I feel like she may be more easily 
relatable than to Saru than he to her, because you already see where he's having a hard time trying to figure out what she's feeling. But I do think they are appropriately matched to each other. But is she feeling? Uh, no, she is. What the fuck is doing when they're in a normal relationship? Uh, just <laughs> logically pair uh, their hand in marriage. <laughs> I mean, I kind of go back to the uh, mock time. Um, no, well, yeah, but I mean, it's uh, what's Spock's mother's name? Amanda Grayson. Yeah, like I, if you watch her relationship with Sarek, it's he's kind of like still Vulcan and she's kind of still human, but she also, I think, she more or less adapted. To him, and maybe that's because she moved to Vulcan. Yeah, uh, because I mean, a Vulcan logic is so strong. Like it's it's easier to ask a human to adapt adapt to that than a Vulcan to adapt to her. Which I'm sure he did at some point for a while, but still, their relationship never seemed emotional. Yeah, you know what I mean. I get that. So I don't know. And Saru is going to need <laughs> he's going to need some emotion. <laughs> Well, you know, he has Colbert to give him all the advice he ever, he'll ever need. Really? <laughs> like, when did we appoint this guy psychiatrist of the ship? Like, it, Thank you. <laughs> he was a medical doctor. When did he move over? Like, it's like we have another Deanna Troy. Like, it's, <laughs> she's, she's kind of the psychiatrist or a ship counselor, but like, really, you're not helping. Yeah, Colbert kind of gets him out there sometimes. <laughs> But he did have good advice in the last episode. You're being a jerk, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Colbert, let's talk about his significant other. Uh, this is just a quick note. I really, maybe you guys can chime in if y'all want to, but we get Adira back and, and Stamets playing awkward dad. Uh, I hate to say it, but I didn't really hardly notice they were gone. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, it, I, if if they were going permanently, I wouldn't be sad. That's, I mean, <laughs> well, nor I did, would I. I didn't know they were gone uh, because we had the kind of a few episodes back, kind of like a send off. Uh, they were going to do something. Was it Starfleet Academy or something? Yeah. They were going to travel with Gray to um, to the Guardian training. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so maybe that was it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not gonna say I didn't miss them, but like, if we, if Tall never come back, it like I wouldn't have been bothered. And I don't mean that negatively. I'm just, yeah. You know, they hadn't really, they hadn't really put in a lot of time building that character. Well, a lot of quality time. I'll say that we've wasted a lot of time building on things that weren't important. Yeah, and I think for that matter, I think the whole relationship to Stamets and Colbert is kind of just a waste of our time. Yeah. We could be focused on Agreed. other part of the crew or even Adira, them like interacting with other members of the crew. I'd rather see that than this forced parental, whatever it is. Well, okay. As someone who I mostly adopted, you know, three kids who didn't have their own kids. I can kind of understand the awkward dad, you know, like how do I, how do how do I do this? But, it wasn't necessary for them to do that to them, and not in this. And not in this show. It feels like ad. It placement. feels forced. Yeah, like it, ad it, placement. Like it's it's like they we need to put a positive parenting aspect into this show. Like why? Even more than that, I feel like it's it's 2020. Let's show them this whole non traditional family, which is great. But 
it doesn't fit into the context of the story. Yeah, like that, that. That's what I mean. Like ad placement. Like I think they're just wanting to fit the narrative, and let's not. Like I get it, but let's make it work in the story. Let's not make it like a side story. Let's make it work in the story. Yeah, and I'm fine with it too. It's just like it. Just, just lately, it's just felt forced, especially in this episode. And you have like the bookend at the very end of the episode where he comes back to them, and you know, kind of just rehashes. Oh, I had a, I made it awkward for you earlier, huh? Ha ha ha. It's just like, really? Do we really need to waste time on that? We have so much else I, to talk about. And what was awkward? I really didn't get that interaction. And why, what was so important? Like, I, I think he just embarrassed them in front of the captain, basically. How? What did he say to embarrass them? Like, I, I don't get what the issue was. Maybe they just, they're, they're just awkward people. I don't I, I don't think they like attention drawn to themselves and they just want to do their work and be done. And he gave, her, he gave them himself. a way out. Good call. Good call, Jeremy. I think this is exactly what it is. So let, let's get into the Galactic Barrier, a.k.a. Edge of the Galaxy. General thoughts on the look and feel and the inherent threat of said barrier. So I know you mentioned this up top and I had, if you're expecting an explanation from me, I have none for you. That being said, this is going to provide just like discovery jumping this far into the future, going outside the collective barrier gives the writers a whole new blank sheet yeah. of paper, right? Nobody has ever attempted to really touch this much. I think it was mentioned once or twice in the original series. Uh, so, I mean, to say, is this what it's supposed to look like? Is this what's supposed to happen? Nobody knows. Like, we don't know it in trick and we definitely don't know it in real life. So how can we say what's right or what's wrong? That being said, I love the visual. It reminded me of, you remember the Voyager episode? Uh, well, like, was it Pitcher Plant or something? Uh-huh. It was that creature that kept fooling them thinking they were flying in. It kind of looked like the mouth of that. Okay, this is what gets me. Okay, I have a few thoughts on. So I, I know it was mentioned in TOS. There's a few episodes I'm looking at memory alpha right now because I don't know this off the top of my head. But it was in the "Where No Man Has Gone Before" episode by any other name. Is there in truth no beauty? So it was either referenced or shown in some of those episodes. But I'm like, it seems like it would be so far to reach because I was just thinking. How, Discovery is the only ship that could reach it. But no, you have episodes where the Enterprise is right at the barrier or near the barrier or in the barrier. Well, I'll say this. No other ship would be capable of reaching it without help from something they did not know exists. So, for instance, uh, I don't know. I think TNG, when they had the Traveler, like I think he took them out of the Galactic Barrier, didn't he? Oh, did he? I don't know. Maybe. I think. I could be wrong. I mean... We have to check that here or there. But I mean, like nobody ever expected to get out that far. And even then, Enterprise on TOS, it was still like I think they had a malfunction in the warp drive or something that got them there. Like it's just it's not possible unless some freak accident happens. Hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I wish. And, and honestly, if anybody's listening and they have some engaging information about this, please enlighten us, because this is something that I know very little about. Again, we know it's mentioned in other episodes, primarily TOS. So maybe we need to go back and do some homework on 2S to find a little bit more information. But to me, it reminded me a little bit of the look. And I need to go back and watch the episode because I haven't seen it since we reviewed it, I think, a couple of years ago. But the look of immunity syndrome, like a big virus, kind of. And that's kind of what it looked like. They mentioned spatial cells 
It's just a very distinct look. And I do like how they kind of harped on the um, use of antimatter shielding. Programmable antimatter. To actually traverse um, the galactic barrier, which it still wasn't foolproof. They had to like hide out in these spatial cells to actually make it across. So the visual of that was really cool. But again, I want to know more about this. So uh, we're going to do some more research and maybe we can bring it up in the upcoming um, Trek trivia or something. Like, I don't I just don't see a lot of research being able to be done. Like nobody has. <laughs> what do you research? Like we hadn't done it in real life. They hadn't done it in like I don't even. Well, as far as trick lore, as far as trick lore, I know we don't know about real life, but I don't even know if it was mentioned enough in trick canon to say research it. Yeah, like I said, I'm looking on Memory Alpha and they do mention some TOS episodes or reference. So maybe we need to go back and just kind of pick that apart a little bit and see if we can find mm. a little more info. And there's a not so long <laughs> Memory Alpha article <laughs> talking about it. So like you said, there's not a whole lot in, in the call for about this one. But let's talk about President Relic handing over her duties to the vice president and joining the mission. Now, Tasha made a very big Tasha Pierce of after the snap, our friend of the show. She made a very good point about this. Like how much um, ambassador ship could she be doing if the burn was a thing and you couldn't really travel that far? I don't really, I agree with her. I don't really see why she'd be that important to go on this mission. Um, well, I mean, uh, Y'all know she's going to die, right? <laughs> Let's go ahead and get that elephant out of the room. Y'all know because she's on this trip, she's going to die. Oh, that's yeah. not necessarily true. <laughs> I mean, that's just... I mean, you have To me, that's just a given. You have Tarina on this trip. You have uh, this Ferengi ambassador on this trip. You have the Earth ambassador. And you have... Um, who else? But she's the one with the dialogue. She's going to die. And, <laughs> and it kind of goes back to my prediction on Prodigy. Like, if you need to kill somebody off, it has to be someone that's important enough to matter, but not important enough to, like, deter you from the show. <laughs> and, like, who else would it be? The Ferengi died, nobody would care. Like, <laughs> Right. It's, a, it's another dead Ferengi. Ooh. But, <laughs> but, I mean, she turned over her power to the vice president, who we yeah. haven't seen yet. So I'm kind of interested to see who that's going to be. That may be COVID. I mean, it could be. I, see, I, I think that might have been said by now if he was the vice president. Yeah, true. I tend to agree. But I mean, he could he could be the power behind the throne. But just everything that that you know, oh, I've got to be there. You know, that's just might as well throw her on a red shirt. <laughs> now, now let me say this: I do like the dynamic between Relic and Burnham in this episode because after all of this. Fussing and fighting they've done over the course of the season, they finally got to a point where they have a mutual understanding of each other's roles on the ship and in in the Federation slash Starfleet Starfleet. So man, I really love that they were finally on the same freaking page. Yeah, that was which good. Is, uh, which is honestly another like I, I've I've seen watched enough television in my life to know that you know <laughs> this is the, they're working to her kill way this out. lady off. <laughs> Not me, the writers of Star Trek <laughs> Discovery. So let me let me ask this question. Am I the only one that felt like there was a deeper connection between uh Relic and Vance? Mm, not at all. I don't I no? don't think there's one. A no. a little bit. I I kind of felt that a little bit. Deep how explain. Well what struck me as odd is, you know, when she told him 
it's just that that whole that whole situation. So like she was hesitant to tell him to start with. And then she just kind of like built herself up and like, it's my duty. She like really formally told him and then his reaction. And then once that settled in, like he referred to her on a first name basis, which she's the president. Like, I don't care who you are. You don't refer to the president on a first name basis. And then, you know, she was kind of like, you've gotten us through so much. Like, I get it. That could be in his role as Admiral of Starfleet, but it could also be a familiar role. Hmm. Like, I, I want to say as part of his family or maybe his wife or no. girlfriend. She, she, she said she had someone on Earth in this episode. She said she had someone back on Earth and we've seen his family in the early episodes of this season. So. I do think they may have a very deep connection because they have some some pivotal roles in the rebuilding of the Federation and Starfleet. So maybe it just goes that far. Um, but, well, but, it, you know, he's, you know, the Admiral, she has been a top of for 20 years. I'm sure they have a long, at least professional history. Yeah, there's mutual respect going on between the two. Just know that I said it tonight on February 28th, <laughs> that there's something deeper in that relationship. It is too bad she's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy the grim reaper himself <laughs> yeah but you know i really liked the the relationship of of her and burnham and and again i just said it before but just them having a mutual understanding and they man they committed one tragic writing flaw that i really hate in this episode and that is we finally get the transmission from vance that the the dma has shifted and it's it could possibly affect Earth and Vulcan in the next few days. And then we get this freaking scene on the bridge with the bridge crew who rarely talk, mind you, rarely say anything. Oh, I can't wait to get back home and go snowing, port, uh, skiing Portland and all this other crap. I'm like, dude, that's just too on the nose. And it got on my freaking nerves. It got on my nerves. Yeah, that was a bit much. That, that was that was a bit cheesy. <sighs> I don't know. I didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> she literally just said Earth is going to be destroyed. And then they on the bridge talking about reminiscing about Earth. <laughs> it, I mean, uh, I didn't have a problem with it until he brought it to my attention. But now that he said it, yeah, that's that's just kind of bad. A bad moment in writing. Anything else about the episode that I have not talked about that you want to mention or bring up? Well, if I could, if I, I didn't, I didn't really say anything about it while we're talking about the galactic barrier. But, you know, I, I don't know what I was expecting with the galactic burial barrier. This is not what I, I don't know what I was expecting, but this is not what I thought it was going to be at all, but I liked it. I liked the, the visual of it. I liked the, you know, the having to use the space bubbles to get through. Yeah, that was cool. I'm just, I'm ready to see what's on the other side. And, and speaking of, I just, I think we need a real engineering. I hope they're able to miniaturize, miniaturize the spore drive. So Stamets can be like in a real engineering scenario because I'm getting tired of him just standing up in one spot and be like, you know, is that what you want to hear, Captain? And yeah, and he's saying like these stupid one-liners. I want to see him like in front of a console like Jordy, like punching some numbers. It's it's just weird to. I know he's standing in front of a virtual console holographic <laughs> projection, but it 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 doesn't have the same gravitas as Jordy. <laughs> Looking through the console, ill cars, and and finding a solution, and not just looking at a console, going from console to console. Yeah, 
trying to figure out what to do and how to solve the problem. Like, you know, I, I keep thinking of Bellana and that, you know, her going all over the engineering yes. room trying to solve the problem. The urgency. The urgency. And he's just kind of standing there being a smart ass. Zara, what do you think? Oh. Well, he does move around a bit, but I mean, oh. I, you got to assume by now, like the whole having to run the console to console has to be obsolete. Like if we have a virtual console, like it's safe to say that you pretty much bring tie in everything to this one place. And it's highly efficient to have to run across engineering to handle the warp core and then back across to handle the, you know, gravity, gravity plating or something like it's. But it's like, but it's like parents will say it's the visual of it. To kind of pull you into it, to 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 make you feel like it's Urgent. it's an emergency. Yeah, even even engineering. I know it's not technically engineering. It's just like the spore drive chamber with the science stations. But like, I want to see Discovery's real engineering. I want to see a warp core. It's 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 something about that visual of the warp core chugging along, chugging along yeah. in the background, and the people around it working and doing their tasks. You don't even get that on Discovery. You may get one other person in the science, the spore science room, or whatever it's called. It's there's no urgency at all. Well, that's what I was kind of going to get to. Was maybe the problem is you know we're usually used to an engineering team and one person heading that up. You know, you watch Bolana or Jordy running to one person saying, hey, make sure you keep an eye on those levels there. And he runs over to the other person and say, <laughs> hey, you need to increase the blah, blah, blah here. And then he goes to his console and say, all right, guys, let's do it at the same time. Three, two. Yeah. yeah. But on the flip side of that, and I get it, it's a space station. DS9, Chief O'Brien, you never saw a warp core. You never really saw an engineering team. It was always just him working on something. But he was doing cool stuff. Was- yeah. On, uh, in your defense, he always had like. I guess the equivalent of a wrench in his hand doing something. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It's just something I'm missing in discovery. And it seemed like it's getting worse as we got gotten worse as we got into the future. Uh, Cause at least in the first few seasons, you had like a team of Tilly and, you know, a team that we knew in that science, I can't call it engineer, whatever that room is, the spore room. Uh, doing stuff, and I like that. Actually, and why like can't that. we get uh, Reno, Jet Reno, in yeah. some scenes? I know they mentioned her last episode, yeah. And you know, Burnham was like, "Hey, why don't you let Reno handle that and you do this?" But yeah. we never saw her. Like, I think just that dynamic of this them two would make it better. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and maybe that's the problem. Maybe they need to. I know it's hard getting that actor in permanently, but maybe they just need to get somebody. And maybe it's Adira. Maybe it's them. Get them to just be there all the time with Stamets. I'm, I'll be I'll be down for that, to be honest. Uh, not Adira. <laughs> Stop not it. yet. Agreed. Not yet. I'm not saying anything. Like, Adira has a lot of personal growth to go before I would be okay in engineering being a pivotal point. You know what I mean? Good at, like, let's handle this remedial task for now and like they are good with that but like stamets and adira figuring out a major problem together like and if they did that it would kind of seem like they were forcing adira into something you know just to make it work for the show yeah and i know we're ready to pivot but i would even like to see adira and they were on the bridge more earlier this season i would rather see them on the bridge you know working out problems there as well i think that was a good fit when they were there so we did get the, and I know I, I'm, we're kind of wrapping this up, but we did get a view of galactic space, a lot more quiet, a lot less stars. Interesting. Uh, I want to see more of what's going on there. And we get a better visual of this 
orb or this barrier that is around this system that the tendency is actually within. So I thought that looked pretty cool that we got a little more information on that. I, I just got one question. When they were stuck in the bubble and all the bubbles surrounded them, like why was it <laughs> took so long to figure out? Let's just fly to a different bubble. Mm, I think they were rebuilding their shields. No, they yeah. were just going to wait. It was a calculation of timing, trajectory, and all the other good stuff. And it took it took Zora to figure out where they need to go next. There was a lot of space math involved. Yeah, yeah, and I do get that. Well, they just they they made it out to seem like it was just this major revelation that nobody but Zora could have figured out. Yeah, like I think the bartender could have said, "Well, why don't we just fly <laughs> to the next bubble?" <laughs> Well, you know what? If we go through all the other bubbles to the bubble we need to get to, we might can make it. Right. <laughs> like, really? Do we need like a? <laughs> I kind of figured that myself. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> but guys, let's wrap this thing up, and we will get ratings for the episode. And let's start with you, Jeremy. How do you rate this episode, sir? Um, I thought overall it was a pretty good bridge episode. I'm going to stick with that term for a while, <laughs> by the way. Um, I'm going to give it a, a seven. Wait, out of five? Out uh, of uh, ten, I'm sorry. So, 2.5. <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> you were going on a ten-point scale and you said seven. Now we're on a five-point scale and you said 2.5? Yep. Space math, Jonathan. You don't, you, I don't expect you to understand. Jeremy, just fly to the next bubble, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, the 2.5 from Jeremy... <laughs> And before John goes, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna give it a three point seven. There were definitely parts of the episode I wish were a bit more elegant, but the visuals as always were off the charts. And you know, I, I feel like we should have got more of this revelation of Tarka earlier because it wasn't all that big of a revelation, to be honest. So why save it like it's this big thing? Ooh. Here comes the information about Tarka we've been waiting for. No, they should have been told us this stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with about a 3.7, 3.7. John, what do you think, man? Well, um, I just, I honestly had no issues really with this episode. Other than, like I said, the whole Adira and Stamets relationship, like the whole interaction just seemed very forced. Uh, for that, I will rate it a 4.2. All righty. Sounds good. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. Guys, if you want to send us a question or fill us in on something we've missed, please send that into fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up at Discussing Trek on any and all social medias. Yeah. And next week, I do have the title and the uh, the log line for next week. The episode, episode 11, is going to be entitled Rosetta. Interesting. Rosetta Stone? Is this some language thing we're talking about? While Captain Burnham leads an away mission to a planet that was once home to the aliens responsible for the DMA, Book and Tarka secretly infiltrate the USS Discovery. Oh my god. Okay. okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Is that right? Yeah, that's what the log lines is. Hmm. What? <laughs> Insert little Judd. <laughs> okay. And with that, we're going to wrap things up, guys. Thank you for joining. And until next time, live long and prosper. Mm-hmm.
Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. for adventure. Your traveling companions are fellow fans of Doctor Who. That's right, it's the podcast Discussing Who, exploring the worlds of Doctor Who, past, present, and future. Find out more at DiscussingWho.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com.